0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 69 of d and Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host Ryan Reader and with me as always is my good buddy Ben Bumhoffer. How are you doing tonight Ben?
1: I am doing absolutely fantastic and just finished watching the newest episode of Obi-Wan and ah! I get to talk about me D&D too. so it's great. But the thing that really you know just tops off the cake of awesome tonight is that we
0: are not alone Ryan. We're not. We have a guest, and I'm so excited. Uh, the absolutely fantastic Legal Kimchi is joining us this evening. Uh, kimchi, it is so nice to have you. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here.
0: So I, I need to I need to preface this a little bit before we dive in, and uh, we'll we'll have you do kind of a little bit about yourself before we jump into the topics. But um, I found kimchi through YouTube. Uh, and Twitter, I saw, started to see some of his stuff circulating, um, and uh, some of the videos of him doing deep dives on subjects, but with a t- tabletop RPG d d slant. And so I started watching some of the videos, and like these are absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And as several of you may know, uh, Ben and I have been talking about doing a more politically focused episode for quite a while, and I, I don't think we could have found a better guest. Oh, uh, not. to talk about this topic with, as you will find out soon. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Kimchi, before we jump in, uh, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself um, and your your kind of history with uh, tabletops and D and D?
2: Well, tabletop RPGs and D and D specifically. Uh, I, I I tell people it's in my blood. I'm a second generation player. My father was playing uh decades ago, and I've been playing for gosh, almost thirty I've been playing for thirty years now. Wow. Um and uh don't let my picture fool you. I'm not I'm I'm actually really old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um no, I've been playing for about thirty years now. I've been DMing for about twenty-five years, and uh I love it. So it's one of those things where it's like I've been here for an incredibly long time, you know, AD&D, 2nd edition, 3rd edition, 4th edition, 5th edition, um, and it's been mainly D&D uh, throughout that whole time. So there's this, um, like, it's, it's second nature to me. I can run a DD and d game with, like, no preparation whatsoever just because I have you know 25 years 30 years of experience and I can just pull something out of my butt if I need to <laughs>
0: That's awesome
2: So um and like it's it's a generational thing I run a three generation game with family I run a game with friends um I'm in a game with another group of friends so it's like I'm not going to say it's my whole personality, but you know, it's kind of,
0: (laughs) it's a, it's a huge part of your life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's something that we've definitely kind of fallen into once we've started. It's like, Oh, well I'm DMing a game and then another one and playing another one. And it's a lot of the content I like to digest. So yeah, we totally get that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I've been playing it for a long, long time, long, long time.
0: That's awesome. And then, uh, You decided you wanted to talk about it uh, because you have a YouTube channel actually where Mm -hmm. you talk about all things D&D, especially uh, kind of going with uh, your profession, correct?
2: A little bit. So um, as my name suggests, I am an actual practicing attorney. Um, I'm licensed, did the whole law school thing, whole whole nine yards. Uh, And, you know, it's It's an analytical job. It's something where you have to evaluate something, look at evidence, and then come to conclusions and articulate those things. So I was like, that's something that I could do. Um, So my educational background is obviously I went to law school. I also have a degree in political science. Um, And when I say that, there's an idea that pops up into people's heads about what politics or political science is and it is so much more nuanced and detailed than what they think because they think of like politics as a sort of oh we're going to argue like republican or democrat or we're going Mm -hmm. to talk about you know socialism or fascism or like libertarianism and all these other things yeah that's a part of it but that's actually not what my studies come from my studies in politics and political science go from empirical political science, which is the practical application of theory into the real world, how you actually get things done in a governmental system, how governments interact with each other, how security works inside of an international system and what those words mean. And something that I get into in my international relations video is like, there's a difference between saying that something is a liberal in politics as opposed to saying it's a liberal in international relations i remember somebody on twitter was just like oh look at this guy championing liberalism (laughs) um and i was like whoa whoa, that no that's it it means something different when we're talking about it in the context of international relations as opposed to in the context of like you know talking heads on a cable news show right (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah Like it's different stuff. And uh, I, I want to clarify that because when you're talking about politics in a D and game, I mean, I guess you can make a game about the differences between socialism and fascism and libertarianism and all these different things. Um, I don't, I don't, that's not what I mean when I say that. And I don't think that's what many people mean when they're asking about a political game. Mm-hmm what they're talking about whether they realize it or not is empirical political theory which is as i discussed in the video um what is basically the game of power and how power interacts with uh groups and nation states and kingdoms or whatever um so you know discard these notions that you may have when we're talking about a political game and tell me we're on the same page here. When we're talking about a political game, we are not talking about labor theory or the ownership of <laughs> private property or free speech or whatever, right? We're, we're not talking about that. <laughs> Usually, no.
1: I mean, there could be a case somewhere where someone wants to run that, which, you know, whatever. But no, I think that we are definitely more into, you know, concepts of, of you know, power and ruling and you know how it affects the world around your player
0: characters yeah, exactly. uh, the structure the hierarchy the, mm-hmm. the like how how and how all that interacts uh, the factions um, that you get into and then interacting and weaving and finding your place within those things
2: exactly exactly because like it's funny because in the real world when dealing with that type of politics we do refer to it as a game i worked in politics for a while Uh, I I worked in state government. I worked in political campaigns. I've worked in uh, politicians, administrative, uh, you know, attorney general's office. I worked in the legislature. I've done all of that sort of stuff. And when we talk about it in the industry, um, we always refer to it as a game, you know? And it's interesting because like, (laughs) And I sort of mentioned this in the video when we're on the campaign trail, when we're, uh, working inside of a politician's office or things like that, we're not, we're not quoting, you know, Kant or Hobbes or (laughs) Marx or (laughs) Gramsci or whomever, um, no, 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 no. We're not having those discussions. We're having like, how do we win? How do we attain more power? How do we get more power? Because we can't do anything that we want to do unless we have the power. So mm-hmm. how do we attain power? <laughs> what do we need to do? What's the messaging? What's the communication? What's the, what are the buttons we need to push to get the power to do the things that we actually want to do? Now, do we actually want to help our fellow human beings? A lot of the time, yeah, that's actually the goal. But you can't do that unless you have the power. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's, that's the thing, um, that I love injecting to the game. Um, as a baseline, it's also about nuance and in-depth characters. Okay. So for me, the first place that starts off is you have to figure out who are the NPCs, who are the power NPCs. I don't care about your blacksmiths. I don't care about your potion shop person. I don't care about the, you know, the the cleric at the local church necessarily uh that heals your party um or resurrects that one guy who just keeps running off on his own (laughs) (laughs) don't split the party it's been around for 30 years people still don't (laughs) (laughs) um but you know i and, and and keep it small like if you're brand new to this if you're trying to establish a political game don't Game of Thrones at all and have a cast of like a 100, right?
0: <laughs> I was, I was going to say, that's actually probably a pretty good example because especially with the the popularity of the TV show and stuff, uh, that probably in some ways at least uh, kind of made people more aware gave exposure to more that type of system. I mean, it, it, it's called Game of Thrones.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, it is the game. Uh, we also call it the art of the possible. Um, that's one of my favorite coins of art or terms of art uh, when it comes to politics. Um, because it's like, what can you do? What is it possible that you can do? This little dance. It's musical chairs. Um, and you want to be the one still on the chair as the game goes round. The music keeps playing. So, my advice to new DMs when enacting this type of thing, keep it small, okay? You don't have to have forty-seven different kingdoms across the world. Okay? You know, the common DM advice is like when you start off creating a world, just make a town, right? And you can play a political game in a town. You can have the uh like Kursastraat, Burgomeister, and the opposing family you know, who are just vying for who's going to control the town. That's fine. That's something you can start off with. You can wet your feet on that before jumping into the pool, because the lessons that you learn when running a low scale game like that um, can build and you can add to it. Okay. So now you've you've worked on the political maneuvering, this little band of adventurers has helped eczema, whoever, who cares, um, become the mayor of village, whatever, right. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're a low level, uh, noble. Okay. Let's, let's use the feudal system for a second, for our example. Uh, cause governmental systems get complex throughout history. But let, if we're being honest with ourselves, most people are playing kingdoms and feudalism, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. <laughs> yeah. Easiest way to yeah, do it. Like, <laughs> like Very okay. common
0: common theme.
2: Technically speaking, we can get into a discussion about anarcho-socialist uh, tribal groups. But, you know, why? <laughs> that's, if, if, you're, if you know the words that I just said, you know how to do that. Okay? Um, but you're probably dealing with nobles and kingdoms because that's the archetype. So low level nobles know what the levels of nobles are. There's only like five. Okay. (laughs) Depending upon the system that you're using, you have low level knights, barons, counts, dukes, Kings, right. To use the the male terms for them all. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you can add a marquee in there if you're feeling frisky. Maybe a Viscount if you're getting, <laughs> <laughs> you know, have fun with it. Oh, well, so many gods, um,
1: I don't see why not.
2: <laughs> I mean, let's, let's go for it. So yeah, maybe the, the vying for power is between uh, two minor nobles, right? And then they report to uh, the baron. But you've you've helped establish who's the mayor of this town. So now you have an inn with the baron. Okay. So now you have a link to the barony. So the baron's going to ask his uh, his men or his people, "Hey, who's? I have a problem that I need to have solved. You know, these marauders are disrupting trade, or there's an evil cult doing weird stuff in my barony." And the king's frowning upon that. So, what can we do? Who knows some uh, adventurers? Because, truth be told, if we're, if we're running, and I always run a mildly historically based game. Like, I, I love history. Mm-hmm. I think that comes out in my channel. <laughs> <laughs> a tiny bit. <laughs> and, like, if you take, for instance, like 9th century England which is actually predates what we currently consider the concept of England. Um, Like there's multiple Kings and there is like, none of them have large armies. Like the sense of scale is completely off. It's like, I raised 2000 spearmen. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're a whole nation. You got 2000 guys with spears. That's the whole of your entire military. So the idea that a baron, in a medieval setting would be like, I need people. I don't want to call my bannerman, I don't want to raise the flag and start conscripting people. This is a minor issue that can be done by mercenaries. So the Baron calls out who's got mercenaries to help with this problem. Your ta- mayor is like, Hey, I get bonus points with the Baron because I'm his mercenary guy now. Right. And you get in with a Baron who's got money and power and influence. And so they, you know, you craft an adventure from that. So they finish the adventure in the town, right? They've gotten the favor of the mayor. Maybe they helped establish who will be the mayor found out that the other person was into some, uh, back dealing or in line with the thieves guild or something like that. Right. And now they have an adventure for the Baron. If they succeed and there can be levels to success great success they're in with the baron okay chummy chummy with the low level nobility moderate success the baron's still iffy about them unsure one way or the other failure baron hates them they've now made an enemy for life (laughs) um and all of those can be interesting results okay because even in a circumstance where the baron hates them well there's other baronies maybe it's like oh that baron hates you i need you to do something against that guy because i'm trying to take over
1: yeah no
2: that's 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 (laughs) awesome yeah yeah yeah.
0: just getting your
1: foot in the door into that i mean it 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 seems like such a a a simple thing to do and in a sense it kind of is just you know as long as you know what your levels are and Mm -hmm. you know go with the levels of your characters or your your players to know, okay, could they handle something in town? Yeah, they're like level two, three, perfect. And then mm-hmm. as you kind of raise them up, giving them more and more access to power kind of fits in with the idea of them just building up their own name and fame and everything throughout you know the land overall. So it's really kind of a hand-in-hand situation with that, it seems.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. The Dukes and duchesses of my world have no idea who fifth level adventurers are oh totally right mm-hmm. but 10 11 level adventurers well at that point they start taking notice because these people are the most capable warriors probably in the duchy at that point okay on par with our, and uh close to these um you know, high level generals or whomever's working on staff, so to speak. Um, So you, you level up with them. And the key here for me is when you create an NPC who is an NPC of power in this political game, you have to realize that they have a goal. And they have resources. And this is where it gets into types of power, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to ask yourself, what are their resources? How can they attain their goal? And this is where I think looking into real world examples is key. Okay. Um, just to come up with a couple of uh sort of examples from, I could use modern day examples, you know, Mm -hmm. Like, um, Russia has a huge military and it exudes a lot of influence because of that. Okay. Obviously they're engaging in this, uh, activity in the, in, uh, Ukraine and trying to exude their, their military might as power. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so that's a type of power that you can express. And I talk about that in the video, hard power being military might. Okay. doesn't mean it always wins. Okay. Anytime that the superior military has lost the war, which countless times in history, Mm -hmm. um, you can cite examples where using that power doesn't work. Uh, There's economic power. Okay. And there are ways that this works and ways that people don't understand that this works. This is, this is a lot of my examples may, may come from like modern politics and history because yeah. that's my education, but I'll give this as an example that most people don't think about. Um, Let's talk about national debt. <laughs> this relates to D and D. Give me a second. Uh,
0: it's like that D 20 episode where Brennan's just like, this is the, this is the first time we've had to do a banking transaction in D and D
2: exactly um so if you follow the news in any way shape or form you can invariably hear some talking cat get on the television and talk to you about how uh china owns american debt and we're paying all this money because of uh paying all this money for because of debt to china okay and they frame it in this sort of like this is terrible right
0: mm-hmm. we
2: owe all this money to china that's bad Um, whereas folks who are knowledgeable, more knowledgeable about, uh, how that operation works, um, have a different perspective. I was talking to a, um, a person in the intelligence field and I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. Um, (laughs) and, uh, he said something to me that was interesting. He's like, when you owe the bank a million dollars, The bank owns you, but when you own the bank, a billion dollars with a B, you own the bank because they need your money to survive. Yeah. So if the United States were to stop payments to China, what are they going to do? Are they going to invade Are they going to risk facing the most technologically advanced uh, military on the planet? No. Doesn't seem like (laughs) the best idea. I mean, Um, can they still function if we stop paying? Yeah, but it's going to be rough for them. If we just say, you know what? We're done. Um, There's an amount of influence that we have because they are so dependent on that money. That is hard power. Okay. I saw somebody talk about how cur- everybody does currency wrong in D&D. Because rules is written, a gold piece isn't a gold piece. A gold piece is a measure of weight of gold that is standard inside of the D&D world. But a waterdavian, waterdeep, waterdavian coin is not necessarily worth one gold piece. I think it's worth two. And if you go to uh, Kalimshan or Ten Towns or Luskin, and you have Luskin coin, for instance, the weight of a Luskin coin is a different value of gold than the weight of a Waterdavian coin. No one actually plays this rule. I've never met anyone that actually plays this rule.
1: Okay, <laughs> it's like that's a level of complexity that could get yeah. really interesting if you're with people who are who want to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, but.
2: If you know specialists in economic warfare, which I do, uh, <laughs> then when when they get into D D and they're like, Oh, well you can have a currency war between these two city states. Yeah. Where you establish Luskin currency as the universal currency of Uh, you know, the Sword Coast, and everybody uses that as a standard. And even though the Waterdebian currency is actually valued as higher because everybody is locked into Luskin coin because of Luskin coin production, they actually have a controlling influence on the economies of different areas in the world. So uh, in the world, so maybe Waterdeep has this incredible military, but because the economic standard of the Sword Coast is Luskin coin, no one wants to attack Luskin because if you shrivel up the source of Luskin coin, everybody's economy collapses. So like it's, it's weird stuff like that, that if you want to get into the nitty gritty nuance of how international politics actually works, you've just changed your game. Okay. Now, do you have to know the actual intricacies of how economic warfare happens to implement this in your game? No, because if you just hand wave it, your players don't know the difference. So <laughs> <laughs> I I doubt you have like hardcore international economists playing in your D&D game. And if you do, I mean, good luck to you. Maybe you should talk to them first. <laughs> have them DM.
1: That's just simple as that. Exactly. Just let there them take go. it
2: over. But Imagine if you would, if you started implementing just the chain reaction of events of a group of individuals, six, five, four individuals going into a number of dungeons. Think of how much gold you yeah. dispense during an adventure and you take that gold. Maybe it's water Davian coin and then you go all the way down and you're in uh, who? om, um, am right. I'm using forgotten realms as my reference. It totally point works. Yep. Uh so you go down to Am and you just dump 10 grand worth of waterdavian coin into the Amish economy well that's going to have a residual effect and maybe because of the influx of cash from rich adventurers the Amish economy starts fluctuating because most of these traders who are dealing with the people coming in and out of Am are dealing now in Water Davian coin as opposed to Amish coin. So am is like, uh, wait a minute. Should we attack Waterdeep because it would shake up the currency? Or should we attack Waterdeep because then we own the source of Water Davian coin? Like, wow. <laughs> you, you see where you can go with this stuff, right? Yeah, like this is where the implementation of like real world international relations, real world politics and the details in which people talk about can absolutely shatter your world because it happens. This is the stuff that actually happened throughout history. Okay, Uh, we think of the world in a very simplistic nation state idea, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of us are from the United States. Without getting too controversial, we all would consider ourselves Americans, (laughs) right? In general. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Um, That's a new concept in history. So like, the idea of a nation state is only a few hundred years old. We don't think of it like that. Okay. But it makes sense when you think about it. But if you don't think about it, you never know, right? like kingdoms. Um, look at the war, of the roses, the wars between England and France. It's not actually wars between England and France. It's a war between this dynasty and this other dynasty. And like Richard, the Lionheart spoke French and was a French person. Okay. And yet he's an English historical figure. William, the conqueror was a I'm going to use this term Viking, as we all know, is like a profession. It's a raider, but <laughs> yeah. when we say Vikings, we're actually talking about Danish individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Northman, William the Conqueror, who conquered England, was a Viking. He came from Normandy. Normandy is French for the land of the Northmen, because the French kings settled with the Danes and said, "Like, hey, we're just going to give you this land over in northern France. Stop <laughs> invading the rest of France." And then those (laughs) Danes who were in the Viking lands of Normandy were just like, Hey, let's invade England. And they did. And they succeeded. Like there, there's a lot of Danish in English royalty throughout the timeframe because it's all dynasties. Okay. So when you think about that, it's more like mafia families. It's more like families who control power. And why do they control power? They have money. They have military influence so that's the hard power that we talk about the thing that no one thinks about the thing that i think i may be the first person to introduce on youtube for dnd i'm gonna take credit for this
0: i'll back (laughs) it's soft power yeah it's as far as i know that's it's like this is correct
2: is soft power nobody talks about soft power but you've just discussed you know military power and economic power what else is there there's the power of inspiration. Mm-hmm. There's the power of wanting to be like someone else. Soft power as an example. Again using modern politics. When you look at uh, Tiananmen Square 1989, pro-democracy protests happened in Beijing in the Forbidden City. What do they erect as their symbol? A statue of the Lady of Liberty who looks like the statue in New York Harbor. Because say what you will about the U.S. government, we're not here to get into that type of political discussion. Mm. But in that time frame, in that mindset, the United States is seen as a symbol of democracy in the world. And our symbols become those symbols. Look at the hammer and sickle. Yeah. It's a symbol mm-hmm. of communism in the world. It's a symbol of uh, sort of a camaraderie. They even refer to themselves as comrades, right? Mm-hmm. These symbols <laughs> have power, okay? What power did Nelson Mandela have after 25 years in prison? He had no money. He had no troops. He had inspiration. Yeah. And he wrote that inspiration and at the end of apartheid and the election of him as the first black African, South African president, that is the stuff that people miss. Okay. That's even the stuff, the theoret- uh, the, the theory folks miss sometimes. Okay. Cause it messes up the mechanics of a very orderly theoretical system of empirical political science. Um, Inspiration can have a role. Inspiration can change the world in weird ways. Okay. It's, it's one of those things where I think that we are done a little bit of a disservice in how we teach history and how we teach politics in our grade schools. It shouldn't be graduate level stuff because Because it would make our games better. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And that's the only reason. That's the most important reason. It's the most important reason. Um, it's, It's just one of those things where it's like all of these little factors play in changing the world. And there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for the different levers that you can push in political power Mm -hmm. so when you're thinking bringing this back okay when you're thinking of your npcs in your game your political npcs your nobles or your you know presidents or whomever you know doesn't really matter the system of government doesn't really matter how you're utilizing it yeah um because systems of government are generally older than people think like the the mongolian empire during Genghis Khan's time elected their rulers. Okay. (laughs) It was a whole thing. (laughs) That's super interesting. Um, you know, the Greeks are talked about as inventing democracy. Uh, No, they, they wrote the stuff down that I I won't even say modern democracy because our democracies as they currently operate are different than Greek Mm -hmm. democracies and different forms of democracies who existed in prehistoric times. Um, anarcho-socialism existed in prehistoric times and that seems weird it's like what anarcho-socialism that sounds like a newfangled thing now it's actually one of the oldest forms of government um (laughs) it's you know but um it doesn't matter what the form of government is okay what levers do they pull be it you know stone age tribes to modern governmental systems are we pulling the military lever are we pulling the economic lever are we pulling the inspirational lever okay um in the video i used the example of pablo escobar mm-hmm. okay because pablo escobar had all three and he used all three i think he's a great example of how you can implement all three in a DD character because this is weird to say pablo escobar phenomenal dnd character if i <laughs> If I'm going to put it out there, okay? He's everything you want in a Big Bang Able guy Um, because (laughs) he's got money, Mm -hmm. he's got military might, and he's got inspiration all wrapped up into one, and it's much more nuanced than you might think. He's striving for power, okay? Doing these low-level runs, strikes it rich because he figures out an illicit business that he can fill the market for, and he's ruthless. He's willing to pull the military lever, like it's candy. Oh yeah. <laughs> so maybe you got the big bad evil guy. Maybe in your world, magic is regulated by using the Dragon Age example. Like you have to have lyrium to perform magic, right? Well, maybe he's got the a hold on lyrium, right? So if you want to perform magic, you got to go to him. Well, now he's got a way to have an intense amount of funds. And then somebody else comes along. It's like, I found an alternate way to do magic and I can teach this to the masses. Okay. And he just silences them, wipes them off because he's willing to do the ruthless thing. Well, now he's a criminal, but who's going to charge him? Who's going to go after him? Yeah. Because not only does he have a military force to back him up, not only does he have the money to back him up, but he's got people that are willing to do it for him because they need his product. And the disruption of the market would be too much. How, like you just start asking yourself these questions and that's the thing. Um, I have this thing that I talk about a lot in my streams. I have this thing that uh, I talk about sometimes in my videos. It's ask the next question, never be satisfied. Oh, if this happens, then, oh, this would happen. Ooh, oh, oh, what, what if this happens? Oh, th- then that happens. Well, A well if that events. happens, it just keeps going. Exactly. It and just keeps
1: going. it's, again, uh, Brian and I have talked about this before. When you're building NPCs, you know, just go with the bare minimum to start off with of, you know, mm-hmm. what are their wants, desires, and fears, and then kind of build off of that and build off of that by giving yeah. them all these different levels of, you know, Power along with it you're building up your big bad evil guy you know mm-hmm. like almost giving him the the entire course of their their plot line before the players even get into it so by giving them all those powers you have all these different things established already and it's a world that's running and working that your players mm-hmm. can jump into right away and then they get the chance to go in and affect it
2: exactly exactly the only difference between making an NPC in the manner that you said, because that's absolutely true, right? Desires, Mm -hmm. fears, what do they want, right? Mm -hmm. The only difference between that and the political NPC is power. So now they have the power element so that they can actually pursue certain things in a grander scale because the the blacksmith doesn't have an army. But the noble does, and the blacksmith ha- doesn't have the amount of funds necessary to choke food from people's mouths. But the noble does.
0: Yeah. Now no, that be
2: you know.
0: So. Go ahead.
2: But the blacksmith may be able to inspire people, and that's where you get revolutionaries.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's revolution. that's super interesting.
1: Even, i just never heard
0: it heard it. Said like that before. Yeah. I mean, but I really like it.
1: What are adventurers other than those who inspire others around them as well? I mean, Mm -hmm. again, we already talked about, you know, building up a name for yourself around the, uh, you know, the nation or, or, you know, territory or whatever. You know, as soon as those higher level monarchs or uh, nobles or whatever, you know, see them, how are they going to affect their power? You know, is there a chance that they might hire another group of mercenaries to go after them? You know, it, it just kind of builds layers upon layers and it depends on, you know, how fragile your BBEG is compared to, you know, rising popularity of something else too.
2: Mm -hmm. Like, and I also love making, um, NPCs with power, human and what i mean by that is not that they actually have to be human but um what i'm talking about (laughs) although in my world they generally are i run a very human-centered campaign because i'm basically doing a lot of historical stuff with some fantastical elements Uh, but that's just me and my personal taste you uh, you do you right um but uh everyone has frailties everyone has the line themselves and i think it's very important to establish what those lines are things that they won't cross and things that they would do anything for and you can think about this in microcosm um like i'm a parent i have two kids there's an incredible amount that i would do for those two children that i wouldn't do for any other human being on the planet up to and including heinous acts <laughs> of, course. of right? course right yeah like I, you know it's just real world scenarios right you, you hear about that the dad walks into somebody doing something to his kid and uh he beats that person to death or something mm-hmm. and yes. part of me is like yeah yeah no i get it <laughs> well, makes right? sense yeah that's something you have to consider with NPCs with power because when are they willing to pull those levers? I think that's key. Um, and knowing that the way people with power think is different than the way people without power think. And it goes back to how we were, what I was talking about with my experience in politics. Okay. Because the primary thing that we talked about wasn't, policy wasn't issues it was about winning so we could get the power because it was only when we got the power that we could do anything okay think of any political issue that you actually care about what do you need for that to actually happen the votes you need the campaigns you need people to be convinced of it all of that is power yep okay and until you get to that point, the accumulation of power is the primary goal. And even after you get to that point, the accumulation of power is the goal because you still need to keep using it. You can't do anything unless you have it. And that's the mentality of the NPC with or the power NPC. I'm just going to call them that for now on you have to realize that these individuals have a goal and they need to attain the goal before they can do anything. You can have the good, like I'll give an example in my own home game. I have three nobles who are trying to vie for power. The main three nobles. One has a standing army. The other has an incredible amount of money. And the other one is inspiring people. Like I'm doing it very textbook. You don't have to get super complex with this Mm -hmm. stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, You can, but you don't have to. And sometimes it's easier for players who don't understand the power dynamic to see just clear examples of it, especially in the first game, so they kind of get it. But um, they're all vying for power, and they will all do heinous things to get to that point because ultimately they need the power to do the good things. Because you can say all you want. I want to do the good of the people. I want to make sure that everyone's fed and everyone has clothes and everyone has a house and everyone is taken care of in my kingdom. That's great. You got to be king first. Yeah. And they get that. People who are in power, pursuing power, get that. You ever see a politician do something and you're just scratching your head? That seems against everything that they stand for. Well, yeah, they need to get the power first.
1: Yeah, playing the then game. they
2: can, they, they got to play the game and then they can act upon the stuff, that their principles. But their principles are meaningless if they can't do it. What would you rather have? A leader who can actually implement the things that you want them to do or a person who sits on the sidelines and shakes his fist at how the system is broken. Well, that's nice you got to fix the system first. That's something that people who are pursuing power generally understand that, the, that normal people don't. So when you write your NPCs, when you think about your NPCs, understand where their lines are. Understand where they won't cross. I was like, you know what? This this is actually the line. I won't do this regardless. Okay? Because it creates circumstance, and I love this moment in my games where they're like, uh should we even be supporting this person they just did something terrible and it's like Mm. yeah but that dude wants to do something horrible all the time (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) yeah yeah oh man you just like opened up four different doors for me
2: (laughs) (laughs) and and like I have a little bit of a theater background because I originally wanted to be an actor, and then my parents were like, "No, and then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like that moment of role play, where the like adventurers realize that the person that they've been supporting is willing to do the heinous thing, and they confront the person about that, oh my goodness, I love playing that scene. I love doing the whole. Well, what did you expect me to do? How am I supposed to do this? You want me to be the poster boy for morality? Well, fine. People will die. And yes, if I do this evil act, will people suffer? A select number of people. Sacrificial lambs for the greater good of this nation. Or do you not care about the poor? Do you not care about the downtrodden? And will you stop and arrest our development of this kingdom for the lives of these few people no.
0: it's the it's you know? the uh, save <laughs> and kill the 10,000 to save the million yeah the, yeah,
2: the trauma yeah. situation i mean it's basically nazi germany um and it's it's you know cuz i had this in a class where we were talking about political theory and the professor's like would you kill 100 people for the betterment of the lives of 10,000. Because if you would, then you've basically outlined what happened to the German economy in the 1930s because they took all the money from the Jewish people. Yeah. And they made the lives of other Germans better. They felt it was a good sacrifice. It's horrible. It's heinous. It's the worst. It it may be one of, if not the worst atrocity in human history. Um, I still think that the belgians and the congo get underreported because what they did was absolutely horrifying won't even recount it google wikipedia that king leopold third um (laughs) okay and and content warning for that um it's it's horrible you make like google some pictures that will make you cry it made me cry i was just like this is the oh my god uh (laughs) not good Yeah, like it's, it's, (laughs) where's my scotch? Okay. Uh...
0: (laughs) So you don't have to get that bad. You don't have to get that bad. No. No, 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 no,
2: no, no. I, I generally don't because you can like, here's the thing, like Game of Thrones, people were pretty nasty in Game of Thrones, right? Nobody did like holocaust level stuff in Game of Thrones. No. You can have bad guys without going holocaust levels in, okay? <laughs>
1: just give one of your main characters a dragon.
2: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like we're far more accepting of indiscriminate killing, okay? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but
0: it is, uh, it is it is interesting, yeah.
2: You know? Um it's it's funny what Anyway, this is going back to, like, how we teach history and stuff. It's funny what historical events we teach and which ones we don't. Like, how many people know about the Belgian atrocities in the Congo? Do either of you know about the Belgian I, atrocities I in the Congo? I don't, and
1: I don't know if I want to look it up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. It's 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 pretty bad. Um, and not many people know about it, and that makes me sad. Um, it also makes me sad when I found out about it. But anyway. Yeah nothing is more horrifying than human history. (laughs) That I can definitely agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there are points in history that you can use to feed your game. Like you can read like one book on a specific era of history and you can see how all this works. We talk about game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Did you know that game of Thrones was just fiction based on history?
1: Oh yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: You know, because it's based on the War of the Roses. I think it's, people get that at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, there's an era that I love in Korean history that's incredibly f- hard to find um, English language text on, and my Korean is terrible. Uh, <laughs> like, I can read it, but I don't know enough words to actually know what I'm reading, if that makes sense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually, it, it does.
2: <laughs> there's this point in Korean history, which is the Three Kingdoms period of Korean history, which is not to be confused with the Three Kingdoms period in Chinese history, which is known as the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, different area of time. But the Three Kingdoms period in Korean history was when there were three Korean kingdoms, Gokuryo, Shira, and uh, Baekje. Okay? And Gokuryo was actually a huge kingdom, and its military might started making... The Tang dynasty, which was the Chinese uh, dynasty at the time, really nervous because they had this military dictator who's really good and uh, they didn't want this expanding kingdom to encroach on Chinese territory. Because if you look at like the modern map, half of Kokuryo was already inside of China. Okay. Like it's huge. Like imagine North Korea and then a good portion of the Chinese side of the Korean border. Yeah. Whereas Baekje and Shira was basically South Korea split between East and West, okay, geographically. Um, so the Tang Dynasty got in cahoots with the Shila Dynasty and basically said, hey, we're going to help you fight Kokuryo and then we're going to establish you as the Kore- unified Korea. But then we're gonna leave you alone. We're, we're you're just gonna be our friends, okay?
1: Yeah, it's, it's sure. Because that's us. how that works. Probably um, works out.
2: Um, and they did, and it was the Goguryeo Tang War of the seventh century, and it's fascinating. Like it's this whole like different families fighting, vying for power over the peninsula, making deals with, and this is not a judgment of the. Chinese in general or anything. I just like the concept deals with the devil, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) but uh, you know, to, to gain power and betrayals and court intrigue and all of this. And this is just stuff you can pick up from the Wikipedia page. Um, And it's fascinating. And it gives you an idea of how power dynamics go because the Goguryeo was a power hungry dictator. And the other kingdoms were terrified of this person. And Sheila was like, well, for the good of the Korean people, we should probably take him down because his aggressiveness will eventually be our downfall. So we're going to make a deal with this, like neighboring superpower to take him down. So they betray culturally close individuals because they want to establish themselves. But then they fall into a puppet government to the, to the Chinese. Like, it's just... So many different layers of conflicts, you know? Oh, definitely. And if you find a period of history like that, that no one's ever heard of, like I used the Tang War as a basis for my uh, D&D campaign. No one's ever read about that war. No one knows about this. None of my players have ever even remotely heard of this conflict. And they're playing it. And they think I'm a genius, and I'm just (laughs) I'm just cribbing like Wikipedia notes of this obscure war that happened 1,400 years ago, right? Oh yeah. And I mean, that's my advice to new DMs: just like find a period of history from some obscure from countries that people don't get educated about. Um, You know, like if you were to read a book about the Mali Empire with King Mansa Musa in Africa. You create a D&D campaign, no one's ever heard of that.
1: So it, it's funny because, <laughs> I mean, there there's all this rich history in our own world that you can pull and bring into, you know, especially, you know, homebrew stuff and everything. And I love that. And even though, I mean, I am very far from a history buff, I don't know a lot about, you know, just political science in general, but just, talking through some of this and kind of seeing the different levels the types of power and everything like that i -hmm. actually feel really good about some of the stuff that i put into my own game already just kind of based Mm on you know of course simpler philosophies behind all this you know um just countries trading communicating with each other plotting things and it it's Kind of making me feel a little bit better about my own game. I just wanted to throw that out there. So I really appreciate
0: that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, here's the thing. I'm not providing like secret sauce or anything like that. Most people get the basics of it, but they may not understand why they get it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it's that nuance that you're bringing into it that just, you know, it, it, it takes the sauce and, you know, it's it's a nice sauce and everything, but you're adding the spices and the flavors and everything with the knowledge base that you're 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 discussing and you know i'm really appreciating it appreciating it and taking a lot of notes on
0: this this is absolutely amazing yeah is so it? um i'm sorry that i getting a little uh discord lag but this is this whole this whole discussion I, I've just been kind of sitting back and listening most of this time because it's just been absolutely fascinating and it's just I've the the gears the gears in my mind have been turning for for some of my my own stuff like uh, the the whole time you've been talking and just like, man, that sounds really cool. Oh, that's super useful. Oh oh cool. I'm glad I'm doing that right now. Um, but let's let's um, kind of distill this down a little bit then. Practically, for someone who's, say, using a module, then he may have some characters built already, or using a homebrew and is creating their own stuff. So, from what, from a lot of what you said, um, it sounds like, as I, I, normal DM person, I want to do cool political campaign for my group of players. So, start off simple. Make just. Handful of factions mm-hmm. make your key players within those key players create the dynamics the the once like what is what is the goal of this faction? What is the goal of this faction? What is the goal of this faction, etc.? What type of power does this faction have? What type of power does this faction have? What type of power does this faction have? And then have that type of stuff kind of going on in the background of the world, and then let the players interact with it. does that, does that kind of sound uh, like what you' what you've been talking about as far as someone who's just starting out and wants to just like dive into this from a fresh start?
2: 100 percent absolutely. Don't overwhelm yourself by trying to get into too much detail too quickly. You can make this stuff up as your players progress, as they level up, as it becomes relevant, or you can have it planned out beforehand. Um, I'm speaking obviously to brand new DMs because as you develop this over time, the next time you'll have it all developed, okay? Um, Because you've already done the work. Yeah. So it it becomes easier the more often that you do it, okay? Know where the NPCs are, where their lines are, where their levers are, where their power comes from. Okay. And most of the NPCs will have f- all of the power um, in different levels, right? You'll have some NPCs with a large army, some NPCs with a lot of money. Some NPCs may have a lot of money and a lot of armies. It's okay to have unequal um npcs who are vying for power i think it makes it more interesting my biggest issue is make the players actions matter because when you start understanding where the base of power is for these npcs then the players will start thinking for themselves and start thinking wait a second we know that the countess her power comes from money but if we can disrupt her money, then she loses power, and our person gains power because she doesn't have it anymore. If this Duke's power comes from his military, well, if we were dis- to disrupt his ability to utilize that military, or, you know, cause a revolution in their lands, or maybe the dragon army trying to raise Tiamat is focused on the Countess, we don't defeat the Red Hand of Doom. We don't kill, you know, Wormlord Cool, which is literally something I used in my campaign recently. Awesome. <laughs> um, we just make a deal with him to go north first. <laughs> And that gives the Countess time to prepare. Maybe she raises an army that can defeat the dragon hordes that tried to raise Tiamat. Um, but in the meantime, let him do the dirty work. It's the willingness. It, it, when you're running a political game, um, it's funny. Cause I, I was, I was having a discussion with another YouTube YouTuber, unimportant hero. And we have a uh, difference of opinion on so many different things. She's great. You should check her YouTube out. Anyway. Um, But we were talking about it and she thought that using modules or adventures like Curse of Strahd and things of that nature facilitate the use of political uh, games because you have those NPCs and there's a storyline to it. I completely disagree. My game is Sandbox. I have different adventures or campaigns littered through my campaign world. Mm Mm-hmm. And they all have little hints to it. And the players get to decide what they're going to interact with and whatever they don't interact with has an effect on the political realm. So if they are, you know, handling the issue of the rifts are opening and these extra dimensional creatures are coming into the world and we have to figure out what's going on and why these sorcerers are magically able to open these rifts to other dimensions. Well, then the draconic army to the, to the East from red hand of doom is going to raise and that's going to have an effect on the political climate of the land if they go handle the red hand of doom and the army is destroyed they save the town or whatever well then these dimensional rifts that have opened up are opening up primarily in the duchy of this one duchess And now she is going to be harmed because they didn't handle that campaign. And so the power struggle difference. I love making the choices of the players have an effect on the political campaign. And when those choices matter and they can see that it matters, I think that engagement rises. Because I think that a lot of DMs have a problem with like, my players don't care. My players don't care about this politics stuff. They want to adventure and they want to, you know, get gold and get treasure and all that sort of stuff to which I've never had that problem because when my players recognize, wait a minute, we're having an influence on this struggle. Ooh, we're going to mess it up. And they come at it with this mentality that so many players have is like, Oh, we're going to break your world. Get ready. DM. What they don't realize is like, I'm sitting back here going, it's exactly what I want you to do.
1: (laughs) So that being said, is there anything uh, like in a session zero or, you know, prepping uh, players coming into your world that you would do differently Um, considering you play a a much more uh, political heavy uh, play area?
2: Oh, I let them know day one, session zero. Absolutely. Um, You got to make sure that they like it because I'm I'm a DM who's very much of the whole, like, you got to kill your darlings. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are you making with this D&D campaign? If not the campaign that your players want, right? Yeah. And if I'm really set on doing a political campaign, I need the players to be really set on doing a political campaign. And I let them know. When I first met the group uh, that I'm currently playing with, I just moved to town, right? And there was all these looking for group forms and stuff like that. And I posted in one of them. Number one, I posted as a DM. It's like, everybody swipes right on the DM for the uh-huh. dating apps, right? On uh-huh. stick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I let everybody know. It's like, look, I run a political heavy game. If you don't want a political heavy game, I can run this other, you know, classic fantasy adventure game and all that sort of stuff. I'm fine with that. Whatever's fun for everybody. But I have a tendency to run politically uh, complex games. And the group was like, okay, yeah. I was like, okay, let's meet on Thursday. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Get this going. Uh,
2: So, like, you got to make sure that they're into it, number one. Okay? And you got to make sure that they matter in the campaign. I don't know how the political issue in my world will resolve. I've played a single campaign. My, my quote unquote political campaign, I've run for three different groups and have come back with three different monarchs. Yep. <laughs> and I love that because for me, I don't know how it's going to end, you know, That's good. um, and i know some dms are out there and they're just like i want this moment and i want this person to win i was like oh, you gotta oh. throw that out you got because the whole point of being able to run a political complex game is you, you are tinkering like the game for me is almost like the week in between sessions where i'm just like okay 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 so the players just got down to some nonsense. and i'm going to spend the next seven days figuring out okay so the duke doesn't know about any of this happening uh the countess knows about this happening and this is having an effect on her county this way or the barons having uh this happen uh they know about this but that means this thing's happening over here and uh that's going to affect him in this way. Like my prep for the session is not like maps, minis and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. dungeons or whatever. Right. My prep for the session is like, Ooh, what did all the power NPCs do while all this was happening? It's
1: essentially just progressing the world.
2: Exactly. Keeping track of time. I think it's vital to keep track of time. Um, in this type of game because I hate the idea of a politically complex game where the political actors aren't doing anything. This isn't, this isn't the quest to save the whatever or the quest to find the whatever right in those narratively speaking, you can have the villains in a holding pattern for a while and it's just like, uh, he's off doing evil stuff, whatever. That's fine. And, (laughs) you know, have fun with that. In a politically complex game, you have to know what everybody's doing, in my opinion, during yeah. this time. Keep so I think it's much turning. more important to keep track of time and it's like, oh, you've rested and and you don't have to do it in the moment. That's what makes it a little easier. It's just like, oh wait, they rested like seven times, they traveled from this distance, about a week and a half passed. What happened in a week and a half? You know, you don't even have to be exacting about it. You just have to have an idea.
0: Yeah. Of- and I think that's that's a playstyle thing, right? Because some some games run that playstyle and the the adventurers are all that matter. Like, all we care mm-hmm. about is the adventurers that's here. Only the only action that's going on is happening around the <laughs> adventurers when mm-hmm. they go from place to place. But like you said, and that's fine. If that's the style you like, that's perfectly fine. But I do agree with you that I think people will become more invested if you run the, the adventures are just a part. What is happening around them is just a part of this larger thing Mm -hmm. and what they do may or may not have an effect on other things going on around the world. Even if you're just doing it in generalizations versus (laughs) placing every specific piece on the chessboard. But it's it's one of those things where they can sometimes see the effects that are happening beyond or you saying, oh, yeah, like the last time you were here, this person was in this place and this person was in charge. They come back to that same place, you know, two months later mm-hmm. and all of a sudden a bunch of stuff has changed and they're like, what is this? This uh, I thought I thought xyz was in charge and then you can be like oh yeah well you were gone uh king Roden came in and he crushed <laughs> crushed king philip and now he's in charge of this town and so you're gonna have to deal with the the consequences of that
2: exactly and, and you'll see when that dynamism is happening in your world the players in my experience will pay attention they'll recognize, oh, what we do matters. Oh, the world mm-hmm. changes. It's not a video game. It's not static. Yeah, especially and,
1: if King Rodan came in and crushed the town because your players are the ones who helped him gain support and, and favor among his, his uh, I don't know, lesser serfs or whatever. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And when they start recognizing that it, that What they do matters when they start recognizing the mechanics are shifting. um, They'll start being more invested and they'll start making decisions based on... They'll think about it because I've, I've sat down and I've had whole sessions where I almost do nothing. Where I'm just sitting there and the players are like, okay, okay, look. So... The Duke of Argo is really trying to position himself, so he's moving his armies down. But it's gonna take about two weeks for him to march his troops down from, you know, the the citadel to um the the keep at Valente. But the Countess in the south is actually mobilizing mercenaries to come from across the sea, and crossing the sea. Like I've had this discussion where I was just sitting back, had my, you know, chin in my hand and just going like Fly my minions! Like it was just, <laughs> I I did nothing, and it it's fantastic because once they get to that point, you don't even have to think about it anymore. They will come up with circumstances, and you are like, uh huh, uh yeah. And I think I think that the the duke is going to do this, and you are just like, I didn't think about that, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. some duke of the, is some totally going to do that. <laughs> some
0: of the best scenarios can come from from players brainstorming.
2: Yeah what
0: scenarios there could be. And then you're just like, that's a really cool one.
2: That's canon Now that's happening. Exactly. exactly. Cause I mean, I don't care how smart you are. Five people thinking over yep. this <laughs> are going to come up with some good ideas. Yeah. And, uh, you just, you roll with the punches. That's another thing. Um, just like wait for the good, good ideas sometimes even to come from them and just jot it down in your notes. Um, and uh, I mean, I've had moments where um, players betray, like one player betrayed the noble, but the rest of the party didn't. Oh, oh man, that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was mm, that was delicious. I couldn't eat for like two days afterwards. I was so satisfied <laughs> <laughs> from that moment. <laughs> It was it was amazing. Now I also play a game where like my players are fine with the characters dying if it's like story wise makes sense. Mm-hmm. And this person was like, "Look, this is what my character—they would betray the noble." I get if you guys have to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I awesome. have the sorcerer I've been wanting to play for like three weeks. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> that's awesome (laughs) um and and he died uh but anyway (laughs) like literally got killed by artillery on a wall during the massive battle that was caused um because like the other factions found out about the betrayal and uh yeah it's good times good times and then uh that that npc like the player character became an NPC and then became a villain and it was, Oh my God, it was just so good. Um, and I've done, I've done factional struggles as the kind of who's vying to be the ruler. Right. I've done struggles of like how to deal with the war, like another scenario aside from like the Kingmaker scenario, which is kind of a thing. A lot of people think of when they think of a political game, Mm -hmm. I had another game set in, uh, a fantasy version of ancient korea where they have the different families who are part of the wijongbu wijongbu was the ruling council in medieval korea it also happens to be the town where my parents met um
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and if you've ever seen uh the movie or tv show mash mm-hmm. it takes place in a little village called wijongbu oh yeah it's all the same thing anyway um does not look like that uh nowadays southern california (laughs) we looks like downtown new york nowadays uh (laughs) yeah you can travel from we to seoul which is like a 40 minute train ride and you feel like you never left downtown oh wow that's That's how that's how dense it is up there anyway um so like there are are six or seven families who are in the Weijonggu, and they're split as to this invader like how are we going to deal with the invader are we going to surrender to preserve the kingdom right because mm-hmm. the superpower is coming we're just going to like preserve ourselves i fight the war that we're going to lose um let's try to keep a little bit of autonomy and let them you know let them rule quote unquote right while we're all still alive or should we fight them by ourselves or should we enlist the aid of our historical enemies that we've been at war with because we need to stop this new threat and there's different factions in the families not even like unified factions there are members of different families who have different opinions on what the kingdom should do and because i had a like I've, i've been doing this for a while i have a bunch of time to develop this sort of thing so i actually did have a cast of like 30 different npcs like four or five in each family who had different opinions about what to do here and different relationships with each other because eventually you'll get to that point where you can do that
1: that's really cool
2: yeah um and you know they ended up doing this one thing and it destroyed an entire house and the other houses laid siege to that house and then then they had a unified front to what to do about the invading army but they had weakened themselves because they had this civil war in the beginning like it it can get amazing if you get into it and my players just ate it up they loved it
1: <laughs> oh yeah so many different layers to just th- that tiny conflict
0: that that's great yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's super awesome i i was wondering so um just from a player perspective so say during your session zero you say hey everybody this is gonna be a politically heavy campaign from uh, from that perspective do you go you can do whatever you want but i recommend like maybe the certain type of character or these certain types of skills or these certain types of traits or whatever that can uh, help you in this type of situation, or is it uh, kind of an anything
2: goes for me? It's a, it's an anything goes with guidelines. And the way that I do that is I crib something um, that I think Matt Colville said or utilized in a session zero document where you talk about how much of this is politics? How much of this is role play? How much of this is combat? You know? So the players have an idea, like you don't want them to min max a combat character for a campaign that has no combat. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so you let them know, okay, this is going to be a role play heavy political campaign with very little combat. Okay. Well, I'm going to make characters for that and they can min max their diplomacy skill or whatever. Right. Um, so I keep it pretty open about that. And my personal DMing style is to try to split it 50, 50 role play combat with politics being involved, uh, as basically the role playing portion of it. Cause some people get into like critical role style soap opera dramas where, you know, it's like vengeance and love affairs and all that okay. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's, that's never been the theme for my game. More power to you feel like it, you know, uh, the role-playing aspect of my games have usually been the political aspects of my game. So I try to keep it 50-50. You're going to fight some bugbears. You're, you're going to hit a rust monster, okay? I still love all of that stuff, all right? I, I still remember in the original uh, ad and Monster Manual that part where it's like, what do you mean we got to talk to the Lynx? The last monster we talked to ate half the party. Like, I <laughs> love those. <laughs> like i love having just straight up monster fights in my game as well so don't think that like it's all like political intrigue even in game of thrones you have the adventure to go capture one of the white walkers yep. you have you know there's there are, and that's like or 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 that one guy who was uh, searching to find the cure for the grayscale those are classic D adventure tropes right
1: oh exactly in the
2: middle of this game of thrones thing. So you can still have that sort of dungeon delving, um, treasure hoarding gameplay inside of your political campaign. And maybe it's a, something you want to talk in that session zero about how much they want of that. Because what I love doing is like making artifacts of rulership show up in these random dungeons. Okay. You found the ancient crown of Iber, and it happened to be in this dungeon that you were in, right? Oh, and yeah. Do you, do you bequeath that upon one of the nobles? Do you try to raise up as a power player yourself? You have the money now, and you're very powerful just by the five of you that you could almost take on an army of people, you know? <laughs> and you start, you know, tipping that question. Because one of the groups, like I said, I run my little uh kingmaker campaign three times one of the groups just set themselves up as the rulers
0: <laughs> of course i, I knew i would I, mean, I, I had to yeah <laughs> i would expect expect no less
2: um and so you got you got to be open to let that happen uh so i i have a great affinity to dungeon crawls i have a great affinity for um a lot of old school adventures cuz they're modular and they fit inside of the political campaign. I think it gets a little harder like I think it's really hard to run like Dungeon of the Mad Mage and do an intense political campaign with that at the same time.
1: Yeah, I can see that. You know?
2: Um uh so I like running uh mini Adventures inside of the campaign. If I do written adventures again, you get to thirty years doing the hobby. You just pull out adventures from your head at a certain point. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you read all of the adventures. You know what they say, so you just kind of steal from whatever you love. Um, my brother, to this day, uh, DMing for thirty years, he just video games. Like he's run six different campaigns based on six different Legend of Zelda. Games and his players <laughs> love it. Like, <laughs> what oh, are we doing? Great. I'm running Metal Gear Solid, except it's D D. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that's great. Pull I influence mean, wherever. Yeah, yeah, do do what works for you. Um, no, I, I I I absolutely love that. I think that's that's a, a fantastic idea. And I and, and we've talked uh, several times about you know pulling the little individual things to go into the greater story. And I know uh, we're we're getting uh, kind of close to to our time at this point so um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is just from a from a resource perspective uh, for your modules for your homebrew campaigns are there any supplements that you use or that you would recommend running with in a more political heavy campaign? I know you mentioned uh, Matt Colville and MCDM productions actually has two uh, rather political focus supplements, uh, strongholds and followers and kingdoms and warfare, uh, which seem to be along the lines of what you're, you're talking about. I'm not sure if you've used any of those or not, but, uh, if so, have you, or are there any that you would recommend, uh, that you know of, uh, for people to kind of add in to really, uh, kind of bulk up or help supplement their political focus
2: games. Okay. Um, Yeah, I would recommend uh, Matt Colville's products uh, on that. I have used both of those uh, with pretty good levels of success um, because they're both little modular adventures in those books and uh, they fit in quite nicely. My biggest recommendation though for like Source is not DND supplements. It's, um, TV and movies. Like, we all have seen certain things where we're like, Oh, I wonder what I've done in that position. We talked about Game of Thrones. You know, you look at the different characters and how they all reacted differently. And we all saw that last season and had varying opinions on it. Uh, <laughs> 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 so like in your D game you can just let that play out in different ways like i'm a huge fan of babylon 5 i don't know if that's uh something you all are into um but that's another example of a politically complex tv show where you're talking about diplomacy and power and people pull in different levers to persuade other people Wars happening to the side that affect people who are not even a part of the war, mm-hmm. you know? Um, a- and you learn that kind of stuff from that, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. why are gas prices raising in the United States? Well, it's because of war between Russia and Ukraine that has nothing to do with us. Um, you know, those, the little trickle things happen, it can cause tension. Um, so watch politically heavy TV shows. Watch House of Cards. Watch Game of Thrones and see how people in power utilize that power, how people in power um, can have good goals but go about those goals with nefarious means. <laughs> mm mm-hmm
0: oh yeah and i mean speaking of the sci-fi shows uh battlestar galactica (laughs) i i really like and i i think lends well to exactly what you're talking about Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways
2: exactly okay um tom zarek from battlestar galactica is a phenomenal example of everything that we've been talking about and how to run a revolution in a game you know um And I would also suggest uh, reading a little history and you can just get Cliff's notes versions. You know, the, the French revolution is a big one, you know, Uh, because one of the ones, because I I mentioned Robespierre in um, my complex villains video where I talk about Robespierre was one of those folks who was like equal rights for everybody. Oh, what about these Africans in France? brought over because of slavery, equal rights for them too. What about the Jews in France? Equal rights for them too. Equal rights for everybody. How dare you? And then he gets into power. And what does he do? He starts guillotining people left and right. He starts beheading a bunch of poor people, which is exactly what he was fighting for the freedom of in the beginning. Understanding how people turn. We like to imagine people as just being evil to the core, and maybe some folks are. But there are so many different points in history where you can look at somebody and be like, What happened? What happened to this person to make them turn bad? And uh the explanation that you find is like, oh I can use that for, for an NPC. I i don't know if that sounds weird to some folks. It's like callous to use real world examples and then put it in your D game. I'm for it, whatever i know like
1: we said inspiration is from everywhere everywhere
2: and uh like any like almost any political figure that i can think of uh started from a place where it's like oh i get that oh this is where they went weird this this is where it turned right um and so like history entertainment I am not sure and this could be out there I just don't know it personally. I'm not sure of a and d supplement that really did it well uh to the level of complexity that I'm talking about. Uh but there has been entertainment that does do that. You know, um that that gets into it and a lot of the times it's fun TV shows.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, and I I think that's really interesting. And it, it, a lot of it uh it really I think um accentuates the power corrupts an absolute power corrupts absolutely absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. definitely
0: yeah so just kind of bringing bringing that to life sometimes in in a lot of ways or holding on and seeing if you can maintain your original goals while satisfying everything else around you uh super super interesting um Man, I've got a lot to think on now. That's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> uh, it's really good see, stuff.
2: That's, that's the point of my YouTube channel, I think, is there are a lot of places that give you DM advice. Here's how to speed up combat. Here's how to, um, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I didn't want to do just another DM advice channel i wanted to do something where it's like hey what if we just like really thought hard about this for 20 to 30 minutes um and it just got your brain juices flowing that definitely
0: (laughs) yeah yeah not not even necessarily providing the exact answers but just making people think
2: yeah Yeah. because i i kept seeing these like video game youtube websites or youtube channels where they're like let's do a breakdown on the resident evil games or let's do a deep dive into spec ops the line and all of those are fascinating right yeah i didn't see anybody doing that with ttrpg stuff i was like why are we getting the 30 minute breakdowns of D&D? it's an older game like d has been around before video games or at least most video games. Let's, let's get some, let's get some of that. So uh, trying to turn my, my lawyer brain on and analyze this stuff and be like, I'm, I'm always unsatisfied with the answer. I always want to ask the next question, right? It's actually difficult for me to keep these things within 30 minutes. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's why this podcast is an hour and a half. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you well, it. and I'm, yeah yeah no, this is this is this is fascinating stuff and i could could talk about it and talk about it forever um but uh just so we're cognizant of everyone's time man kimchi thank you so much for coming this is this has been absolutely fascinating Definitely. and i want to give you give you uh just a minute to shout out all of your stuff uh, let people know where to find you, find your YouTube channel and anything if they're interested in learning more. Cause if this, if this got you thinking and if this was really interesting to you, there's more, (laughs) there's a lot more. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, um, Well, as you said, legal kimchi, I'm legal kimchi on all the things, Twitter, Patreon, uh, what have you, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash legal kimchi. So it should be easy to find me whether, Uh, wherever you want to look um so come by give a couple of videos of views if you like it hit that subscribe button if you really enjoy it feel free to uh join my patreon no obligation to do so obviously um i do this because i want to i do it because i love doing it um I, i don't care if i get big or famous uh it's more than just i love talking about this and i love like people commenting on it like i I put out a video and they're like oh this is just like what i do here and i read all the comments and i steal your ideas from the comments for my own (laughs) D &D
1: game (laughs) why do you think we have guests on periodically
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly enriches enriches our games
2: like and that's the thing. I don't want to sit here and be like, you have to do this, that, or the other thing. Okay. I get into certain topics, which are, um, a a lot of people can get preachy about. I just want to make people think about it. I just want people to think a little bit on a topic. Maybe they didn't think about before. So if you ever get the idea watching the videos or anything like that, that I'm trying to preach or tell you this is the one way or everybody should be doing this. I am absolutely not. That's not the intention. I just want you to think about it, and I think we have a lot of fun and get very creative and make better games when we think about it just a little bit more. So, exactly. If yeah, that's, that's interesting you. to you, youtubecom slash kimchi. Go check it out.
1: Yep. When you that's think awesome. about it more, your players enjoy it more.
0: That's right. Because
2: because D and D, it's a game, but it's a little more than a game. If we're honest with <laughs> ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've
0: I've had I've had players cry before. <laughs> the. Just it, it's a game. It's all made up, but we get attached. We get emotional. Mm-hmm. We we get mm-hmm. invested, and I th- there is very few other mediums that can do that.
2: I, I feel like I had a player that I never thought, like I was scared of the idea of her losing her character because she was so attached to her character. But there was this moment that happened where she was like, no, this is narratively correct and put her character in a position where she sacrificed herself, basically. And everybody's just like, I just, but I, what? I don't know. It's just, <laughs> And it was fantastic. And it was one of those things. Where it was like the last session of the campaign. It was the climactic thing. You know, this game this game is special, that's why we talk about it, right? We're we're not here talking about risk. We're not here talking about whatever. Not to disparage other hobbies or other games. I love those games. You know, I play tabletop war games like Warhammer and stuff like that. I play computer games. I'm there too. But good gravy. There are just moments that you can have with this game. It's the reason why we get a little weird about it.
0: Yep. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Exactly. Um, and of course, uh, we will have the links to all of those things uh, at the show notes at dndiscussions.com. Um, so before we jump into our last little bit where we kind of talk uh, a little bit about our games, I did wanted to give a community content shout out. And this week it is Steve Fiddler's Vorpal Dice Press. Uh, And I think I've talked about this before, maybe quite a while ago. The Prism class Mm -hmm. uh, is actually free for Pride Month this month, Uh, free all of June. And not only the Prism class, but uh, some of the additional supplements, uh, some of the additional subclasses. And this is a super cool, completely custom class based off of like emotion and light and it's really, really neat and plays very interestingly, much, much differently than any other class available. Uh, very professional, very well laid out, um, very well edited and well done. Uh, so if you haven't seen that or if you're looking for something new, unique or interesting, uh, we will have a link to all those things uh, on dndiscussions.com and you can grab them from the DMs. Yes, we will. Cool all right ben we we have made it woo what a what an awesome episode this was uh, yes. and and I'm excited because uh kimchi, you know all those stories you told us. I'm gonna need you to pick one of those out and elaborate <laughs> on it <laughs> and tell us uh tell us if if you've got something uh, if you've got something you've been thinking about, and I know I kind of warned you a little bit uh, if you've got something you've been thinking about, a really cool d and d moment or story or something uh interesting that's happened in recently in your campaigns.
2: Okay. Favorite moment in D D. So this was a campaign that I was running for my father and my uncles. Okay. So these old school gamers, super experienced players, right? So I'm playing this game and one of the players, my uncle, uh created a character who was an orphan. Mistake. Um so <laughs> <laughs> uh, know it so well. <laughs> He, he creates this elf character and I have this, uh, elven vampire, uh, that shows up in my game and she's trying to, she's one of the power NPCs, right? Mm -hmm. And throughout the entire adventure for months, literal months, she would, uh, condescend to the party. She was too powerful for them to fight. And, uh, she would always say to like, oh, how ignorant and naive you are my child and all this sort of stuff in a very condescending way all the time. um, They're having dealings with her and they're freaked out by her and all that sort of stuff. They get to a point where she has an army next to a tower and then she has a tent in front of the tower to parlay, right? classic medieval stuff you set mm-hmm. up the tent so you can have the discussion and the players go out but they're like look um she really seems to hate you for some reason she's always like really weird around you so it's just gonna be me and the other guy and we're gonna go on so you just stay here we're gonna go take care of this so my dad's character and my other uncle go out and uh, they have a discussion and it's like hello we're here to parlay with you and she's like where's the elf? Where's your other companion? And then my dad uh, role-playing his character is like, well, uh, she fell in battle. Very tragic, but uh, we're continuing on. And uh, my uh, other compatriot, my surviving compatriot wanted to talk to you. And the elven vampire, I I described her as like gripping her chair and the wood starts to buckle under her grip and a solid, like drop of blood starts streaming from her eye and she looks my my dad's character is a paladin and she looks at him and goes good night are you here to tell me that my daughter is dead nice and it just so happened to be like seven o'clock so I was like are you here to tell me that my daughter is dead Good night, everybody. So we're going to see each other next week. Uh, <laughs> where we're going to <laughs> we'll, we'll meet back up, and we we texted for hours after that moment. And I, I apologize; this is going to get a little weird, um, but it's part of the reason why it's my favorite moment. I started that game with my uncles and my father because my uncle was diagnosed with throat cancer. And in a sort of darkly humor way, my uncle passed away one year to the day after that session. Oh, wow. So we joked that the shock of that reveal is what finally got. (laughs) (laughs) Like we still kind of like, it's a really dark joke, but you know, we, we joke amongst uh, my uncle and I is like that moment you did it. (laughs) <laughs> that, that, really, you know, that did him in. It took a year, but it did it. Was just <laughs> and it's 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 just a moment that you know what I was talking about beforehand. This game is more than a game. It's moments like that. That moment has such weight for me. Not only because it was an amazing D anD D moment, but it's one of the strongest memories I have of my uncle. Yeah. To this day, you know, and ah. This game is something special, so that's that's one of my best moments.
0: That's awesome. That's oh, that's such a that's such a that's such a special memory, and it just, and I, I'm 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 excited. Like I have I have real young kids right now, but I'm I'm so excited to uh, hopefully be able to do this with them as well. And I mean, my wife plays in one of my main campaigns um, that's been going on for. Uh, probably over two years now, you know, 40, 40 some odd sessions of several hours a piece. I mean, you go back, you look at that. It's just like, you've been playing this game for 140 or 150 hours (laughs) or something like like that. This is, this game is longer than most TV shows. Like even the big ones, (laughs) it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty wild. Once you start putting it in those, those perspectives and the, the, the moments and the relationships and the emotions that, that come from it. So yeah, it is, it is incredibly special, especially when you're uh, participating in with family.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I run a game uh, with my wife and some of her friends and I still run my family game and we've introduced more family members originally started with my uncle and my dad. Now it's like my dad, my two brothers and my brother's kid. <laughs> um. So, like that family game is still going, and then I have my other friend game that I run with. Like, ugh, it's like three, three or four days a week are dedicated to D anD. d On top of the YouTube channel, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds like the dream.
0: Yep, it, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, the dream. I love it. I love it.
0: The uh, dream. Well, Ben, you have to follow that one. Follow yeah, that one up. great. Um, we did stop at the end. No, um, (laughs) um,
1: in my campaign, uh, we actually, we left off with a reunion of a, uh, disowned son meeting his, or coming up to his father, who is, uh, heading towards this town for a big trade summit. And we ended with him walking into the tent on the road saying, what can I do for you? Just completely blank. Nothing didn't care that it was a son and everything. So, anyways, we picked it back up, and at this point, I have a split party with which I have two people back in town and two people out on the road to, you know, meet meet this uh, uh trade envoy, and it worked out really well. I ended up jumping back and forth a whole bunch, but the conversation everything with his estranged father was something that I've actually been looking forward to since his backstory was given to me because I knew at some point they were probably going to meet and, you know, we would kind of work through that and everything. So his father still isn't really, you know, acknowledging that he's his son. He's still calling him, you know, by his name. He's still kind of treating him like crap, um, you know, but still kind of putting him in his place, how he sees Um, there's this whole plot going on in the city surrounding the summit and they have like a bunch of different pieces, but they haven't totally put it together yet. Since the son is a half elf and this father's an elf, he's just kind of scolded him and, you know, kind of put him in his place and said, you think so short term, think like an elf long-term, what are the long-term goals with what, you know, th- this plot and everything that's been going on, you know, how long has it been happening and, and all that. And, and so it kind of opened up some doors and everything. And I mean, he still talked down to him, but, uh, like at at the end uh he said you know would you like us to stay for the night and, and ride with you tomorrow and so the father said you're a grown man and you make your own decisions because it was his decision that caused him to disown his son so i'm just like oh i'm being such a mean guy to this this wonderful character that, I, that i've come to love over the past you know 63 sessions and stuff but i'm like gotta be a jerk gonna keep doing that um So it it worked out pretty well. I ended up having uh, the head of his guard fight the paladin who came with them because, you know, she's big, burly protector and stuff. And so they had some fun there. And then the other two who are back in town, uh, they wanted to kind of do some research on poisons, on like uh, raising the dead on uh, Tiamat, because that's, you know, this this horrible god has kind of been going around. They want to learn more about her. What's you know, what's going on with everything? Except they don't want to go to the library there because they don't know who's in on this plot, who's going to be, you know, uh, reporting information back and forth to whoever, you know, is under this conspiracy. So then the Bard's like, we could just teleport over to this city because I've got the, you know, the, the runes or the sigils for that, you know, the, their old home base city. And Sorcerer's like, what? And so she's like, oh, yeah, I, I do it, you know, every other night. You know, sometimes I, I miss my own bed. So I'll teleport there and then, you know, port back into town the, the next morning. And she's like, seriously? So then they ended up teleporting all the way, you know, somewhere I didn't even realize they would ever go to, you know, in this whole time. So had fun, brought back a, a an NPC that we haven't seen for a while that uh, everybody loves. And, you know, we talked, got some information, had some fun. And uh, then they ported back and that was it. And yeah, it was a pretty good session. Um, they were able to kind of think through things, learn more stuff about, you know, everything that's going on. And like I said, last episode, they've got a lot of the pieces for this conspiracy and they're really close to putting the puzzle together, but they're just not there yet. So I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, in game in like nine more days. This summit's going to happen, but uh, we're probably going to fast forward to a couple days for downtime and stuff and get there faster. But it's uh, it's getting close to like a kind of a, a climactic point, and I'm really excited for this. Cause this is like story arc two in my campaign. So, doing pretty good. They're they're level eleven and just kicking butt.
0: It's awesome. I'm very excited
1: <laughs> Oh, me too. Because
0: I know what's coming up. <laughs>
2: yep. Yep. Uh, the 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 classic DMs, right? The mm-hmm. I can't wait for the tragedies that will befall your players. Exactly. Uh.
0: <laughs> but it, remember, it's not us. It's not us. It's, yeah, the, bad it, guys. it's bad guys. the bad guys, but bad guys. Like I said, uh,
1: way earlier in the conversation, um, I feel like, you know, again, just with talking to you, kimchi that my, my politic game is doing okay at a good basic level because, I've got the summit coming up with all these different, you know, nations kind of coming together and everything, and it's working pretty good, and I'm I'm really happy with where I'm at. So, again, you made me feel really good about my game, so thank you for that.
2: Fantastic! That's what I'm trying to do. Not make, not trying to make anybody feel bad. Oh, oh of course.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, and Ryan, you're under uh, um, hiatus right now for both of your your uh, sessions that you DM, right?
0: Yeah. So we just, we just played um, the last one before my little mini, mini summer break um, this last Saturday Um, and everything in that campaign. I'm just, I'm loving that campaign so much. Um, It's, it's, everything's kind of coming to a head. So this is, this is the campaign. um, My wife plays in and two other, two other couple friends of ours. And uh, it's, we, we've been kind of in this arc. They're in the, the massive uh, main capital city on the continent. Um, and a lot of stuff is happening with our, our ranger, um, who is like uh, Gloomstalker slash hybrid uh, uh, shadow grasp uh, rogue subclass, which is something I custom made uh, for her because it kind of fit the theme she was going through. Uh, her character backstory was basically orphan and i that's why i was laughing when you said <laughs> when you said orphan cuz it's just like when someone says orphan it's just like man as a dm i have so much that i can do with that um and so long long ago i kind of decided i kind of had an a idea in mind especially she started going down this like gloom stalker like shadowy type type theme and so recently it's it's kind of come out that um uh, Not only are her parents actually alive, uh, her parents are in the Shadowfell. And her dad is a mortal who got stuck there (laughs) in some very unfortunate circumstances, but fell in love with her mother, who is actually a denizen of the Shadowfell. Uh, They had a kid and turns out that grandma did not like it, was not a huge fan of them or them having a child. And so they uh, basically hired an interplanar band of mercenaries uh, to take the child away and uh, hide it out on the material plane, and that's how she ended up in the in the orphanage. But all this stuff is now slowly coming to a head and starting to catch up with her. Uh, grandma found out somehow that uh, kid's alive <laughs> and is not super happy about that uh and then uh she found out that her parents are alive and is very conflicted about that and then they started getting attacked uh by uh shadowfell hounds and other mysterious figures barely survived that uh her friends ended up rescuing her from basically getting pulled away and and kidnapped and so it was the next day pretty much and they're like what what do we do? We have this um, this interplanar traveling device to get to the Shadowfell to do something about your your parents, but we don't have any planar dust to power it. And so they had multiple options where they could have gone to get planar dust. Uh, there's artifacts in the museum in the city that that have it, or the arcane conservatory uh, keeps because uh, planar travel is fairly regulated in my in my homebrew world. And so it was basically a, we have to ask really, really nicely and it probably won't work or we have to steal some stuff. And so as a DM, just knowing them a little bit, I'm just like, I feel like they're probably going to try and steal some stuff. Uh, And so I was, you know, kind of getting this whole like museum encounter ready and stuff. And uh, in the session, they were just like, we should play this the straight way and we should... (laughs) We should we should go ask because my wife's character, uh, Bean, who who's a wizard, actually has a high-level mentor contact in the Arcane Conservatory. So they decided to pull on that string. So they went there and talked to her and they listened and like showed her the evidence of what was happening. And she was just like, um, you know, this is this is good, uh, Bean Bean is a close friend and uh, I've mentored her. Uh, I'm very fond of her, and so if she's asking this, uh, I will help you. I can't do this myself. You have to get. You would have to get permission from the Archmage to do it, and so she basically told them, "You're going to have one shot to do this. So get your story straight." So it was fun because I got to sit back a little bit and listen to them as they went into the side room, kind of talk through how are we going to do this? How are we going to approach? Because she warned them, don't lie. He will know basically. Uh, And so they're just like talking through like, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? What are we going to say? What kind of angle are we going to play? And so they kind of figured out what they wanted to do. And uh they put in the the request, and a little while later, the Archmage requested a uh, an audience with them. And so they teleported over to where his chambers were. They went in, and as soon as they went in, I made them all make wisdom saving throws. Didn't tell them what it was for at all. Didn't tell them what the DC was and everything. But I think it set the stage really well to to kind of back up the... Don't lie to this guy, and I absolutely love the archmage of this city and this continent because he's my original character, oh. um, uh, my very first wizard wizard char- character, um, my very first D and D game years and years ago. Um, the The campaign ended, and so and I loved uh, Elden so much that I ported him over to my world, and he became my world's or this continent at least's archmage. And so it was it was a really cool conversation because there was no dice rolling of any kind. Um because they kind of explained themselves, they went through the rigmarole, um, and he's he was just like, you know this is incredibly dangerous, right? And then he went and looked at each person in turn, and he said to them, Are basically are you committed? And it was, it was really interesting to see the players thinking about that and the wheels turning. But every single one of them basically said, this is my friend. I would be willing to die for her. And after he went around and chatted uh, with, with each of them and basically asked them in different ways, uh, he said, that's good enough for me waves his hand and produces a vial of planar dust and says, this will get you there and get you back. No more, no less. And gave it to them. And I think they were really surprised that I didn't have them do like persuasion checks or anything like that. But I I really wanted to play up the the role play aspect of it and get kind of deep into the character moments because as I said, we've been playing this thing for... Like well over a hundred hours, and there's a lot of strong emotional connections to a lot of these characters. And as I've telegraphed in a lot of ways, this is a very dangerous place that they're gonna go. And from a political standpoint, an incredibly powerful political figure in the Shadowfell. They they even had talked about a little bit like, let's take her down, but what happens if we take her down? Like. What, will that will that change the power structure will that like hurt a bunch of stuff like i don't the 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 is just like i don't want to rule i don't want to <laughs> like i don't want to take over like i don't want to be stuck there uh so it was, it was really fun and interesting kind of hearing a lot of that stuff on top of <laughs> we have uh an older an older man is in the party come to find out as the archmage looks at him and goes basically goes uh we need to be completely truthful if you want my help whereas then the man reveals that this entire time these weeks he has been with the party he has been using disguise self As the form of the old man drops and this more devilish tiefling like form takes his place. And all the party's just like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what is going on? And so that was kind of like a shock on the side that as soon as the whole meeting was over and they were basically teleported back to where they were going to stay. I was like where we're going to end it and so (laughs) we're going to probably end up picking up with them going okay you got some splainin to do dude uh and then hopefully gearing up and uh potentially going to the shadowfell where the next big arc will take place a lot of the dangerous stuff and a lot of hopefully really interesting uh connections and uh emotional moments and hopefully no deaths but we'll see i mean my My bad guys don't play around, <laughs> so we'll have to see how things go. but it was it was just an absolutely really cool, wonderful session to kind of end and uh this little play time and have a little mini break. Very cool.
1: Yeah, it sounds like when that picks back up, it is going to be uh, quite an interesting uh little discussion
0: i'm I'm very excited for this this entire arc should be a lot of fun um but yeah with that i think that uh wraps us up man uh long but very very good episode i would not have it any other way uh and again thank you so much for joining us uh been an absolute pleasure yes super interesting
2: Likewise, it was a lot of fun
0: super interesting super entertaining uh super <laughs> thought-provoking uh just the way, just the way you like
1: it. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, uh, Ben, before we head out, why don't you let everyone know where we could be reached? You bet. Um, if you're looking to email us, tell us, uh, to, or to
1: tell us about some of your stories or uh, maybe some of the political play that you've had in your games, send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Or if you want to do it in a more short form version on Twitter, we are there as well at dndiscussions. Now, if you just want to reach out to Ryan, you can find him. He is at TBKZord. If you're looking at for me, I'm at Ben Bumhoffer And, of course, if you haven't listened to DN Discussions before, and this is your very first time, we have 68 other episodes on the feed. Go ahead and check those out. Um, they're all full of random goodies, uh, interviews peppered in here and there, and uh, just a lot of fun, I think. I mean, heck, I'm on the show. I enjoy it. So I'm kind of the target demographic, I guess, but I uh, recommend it. Um, now, if you're listening and you're like, oh man, it'd be great to hear Ben and Ryan play in a game sometime. Well, guess what? We have that cover. You check out Plus Five to Hit. Uh, we are playing in that in an ongoing, cons- uh, persistent campaign. Uh, we've been doing Rhyme of the Frostmane, but we are now at a uh, stopped at a cliffhanger. Because our summer hiatus mini campaign is going to be starting up soon. Uh, we're going to be recording our first ep- episode on that on the 27th of June. It'll be up shortly after that. But we're going to be taking brand new characters and stepping foot into Strixhaven. So I'm really excited. It's going to be great. I'm an elf. Come back to school. I'm happy. I... <laughs> so, yeah, um, definitely check that out um but with that that's uh, pretty much everything you know like i said uh, leave us a uh, review if you want on whatever you're listening to us on it, it helps us out um uh, but that being said again kimchi thank you very much it has been absolute blast and to our audience until next time be good to each other
0: thanks we'll see you next time